Hello everybody, Tom Harrison and Ken Krogh with Eternal Core. Today, today we've got Jeanette Bennett from Utah Valley Magazine. Yes, hello. Good to have you with <laughs> us today. You. Thanks so much. I'm excited to be here with both of thank you. Thank you so much for coming. Thank we you. Oh, Tell us a little bit about how you got into the whole media world. Jeanette. Okay, so I grew up in southeastern Idaho and my older sister played school and I played journalist. It was my childhood game. I would pretend to predict the weather and I had a chart on the wall and oh I would make little newsletters for my sister's school, pretend school. And I just loved the idea of, of telling stories and sharing those stories with readers. And so in high school, I got a job at the local TV station and got a taste of the broadcast world. And then as I went to college, I just always had jobs. I was making my way through school and I always got jobs related to journalism. And so I worked at the college papers at the different schools that I went to and was the editor. In fact, at BYU, I was the editor of the universe, which oh, is the, yes. the, the most uh, yeah. ostentatious title ever, editor of <laughs> the, the universe. universe. That's good. That's good. <laughs> and I worked at the... Now you can become the editor of the pluriverse. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be my next goal. That's my bucket list item, right? <laughs> and I worked at the Nuera Magazine and the Deseret News. And uh, I just loved the idea of grabbing information, figuring out how to assimilate it and share it with people in an interesting and creative way. And uh, the entrepreneurial part of me didn't come till I became a mom. So I became a mom 21 years ago. And uh, I didn't know how to let those two worlds collide of motherhood and this career that I had started. And I had finished a bachelor's and master's in communications. And uh, it was the entrepreneurial side of me that came out to solve that problem of how could I keep writing and keep producing and also take care of this baby boy that I loved so much. And so shortly after he was born, we started our, our publishing company. I say oh we, it's my, my husband and I, and of course now a staff and everything like that. But it was really motherhood and that need to, to create and also be hmm. there for him and the other kids that came after that led me to start the company. And it's been a How wonderful journey. Now? So we have about 14. Okay. And then other freelancers as well that are mostly previous employees of ours that are home raising their families that contribute in off-site ways. Now, Tom has a bit of a background in broadcast journalism. That was, that was my oh. first degree. So. <laughs> okay, in broadcast journalism? Uh, he's got that big, deep voice. You know, yes, he was you gonna... do. Wow, okay. Yeah, I, I was... Uh, during the era in the 60s of the disc jockey, so I had a show in Hollywood, and oh, it was fun. quite a fun experience. But I came to the realization that I think I wanted to do more than, than just speak into a microphone mm -hmm. and do commercials, you know. Mm -hmm. so, so I decided to go back to college, and boy, did I go back to college. <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah. so you've had different chapters of your life, it sounds uh, like. Uh -huh. yeah. Well, that's great. Well, it has been just my passion, like I said, from when I was a little child. My older sister became a teacher. <laughs> so sometimes I think what we enjoy as children, that those can be clues as to who our core, right. our core soul is. Wow. And that was the case for me. And so I've enjoyed it. And uh, we, we produce a lot of magazines and digital content as well. And, and uh, so it's been a fun journey of doing a lot of interviewing of people and basically listening. I feel like I'm a professional listener. And you learn a lot when you listen. Right. Mm -hmm. Ellen, you have a good way of pulling stories out of people. We had, we had breakfast with Jeanette and, and our team at, here at Mobilize, and um, she started sharing some of her story. Um, you know, we told her about Eternal Core. She's going to be one of the MCs, um, uh, helping moderate some of the panels at our, at our show at the end of March. 
and you started sharing a pretty amazing story. In fact, you did a TED Talk about it. Mm-hmm. Do you mind walking us through that okay. whole story that you've yes, been through? Yes, I will. And so when I, was, when I was 10, I was growing up in southeastern Idaho. Both of my parents were from California, from the Bay Area. So my two grandmothers lived there. And when I was 10, both of them passed away for different reasons. One grandma named Lola passed away from cancer. She had battled cancer for about three years. And my other grandma, Lois, uh, she took her own life, which was a confusing thing for a, a child to navigate. And um, in fact, when, when my parents gathered us and told us that grandma had passed away, they didn't explain the reason. It was just get in the car, we're going to California. And there was, there was a lot of whispering and, and different feelings involved from the other grandma who had passed away from cancer. And so we arrived in California and all the cousins were trying to figure out what had happened. And uh, we really were not told the story. Mm-hmm. In fact, it was a few weeks later when I overheard my mom on the phone telling a friend, telling one of her friends how grandma had passed away. And uh, that inadvertently taught me a couple things. It taught me that uh, we shouldn't talk about these things and that there was shame involved with her mental illness. And it, it sent me on this lifelong quest of trying to understand maybe what grandma went through, what she felt. And I became more aware than I would have been otherwise about whether people were happy or not and what was really going on beneath the surface. And it's become a, an interest and a passion of mine. And so my TED Talk, I actually started off by telling the story of, of Grandma Lois and how she passed away and how I became, like I just mentioned, really interested in happiness mm. and uh, the different facets of that. And so for this talk, I, I cataloged some of the things I've noticed that happy people talk about. As I've listened to many through the years, through couple decades of, of being a journalist, I've come up with some common patterns, conversation patterns, uh, that I believe happy people um, use in their, in their day-to-day conversation. For example, uh, happy people talk about their, their dreams. You know, happy mm. people talk about the future. Happy people talk positively about other people. You know, they, they see other people's successes as something to celebrate and not feel competitive with not let, let that make them feel less than and um, and happy people just love to celebrate other people and and so those were some of the things that I shared in my TED talk and it continues to be an interest of mine and now that I have five kids that are at different stages of life I'm interested mm-hmm. in in what's going on in their mind and how they're processing the things that happen to them their disappointments and their successes and their friendships and and so it's been an ongoing quest of mine to really get to know people and understand the things that they're going through well, that's incredible to move from an experience at 10 years old, dealing with someone who took their own life that you loved and cared about deeply. That's become a big topic today. Mm-hmm. It you really know, dealing has. Dealing with, you know, with, with suicide and, mm-hmm. and awareness. You know, there's been a lot of press recently, a lot of stories going on. But you chose, as a happy person, to take a path to examine uh, perhaps a solution, perhaps a way to address it. Yes, and I think part of that is just communicating about it. I think that was the first barrier that had to come down is that we can talk about this. Yeah. It's, it's not uh, something to be ashamed of if we're struggling with, uh, with depression or you know, even whether it's one bad day or a period or a season of life of depression. Let's talk about it. That's solution number one, I think, is communicating about it. And so I've had other close family members that have dealt with anxiety and depression. And my daughter lost two very close friends to suicide. And, mm. um, 
And so we've, this has been an ongoing discussion item. And it's not like I have all the solutions, sure. but I do think talking about it, taking the shame away and saying, let's really get real about what we're facing here. Mm. And I think we can do that and still be positive. You know, I think we can still say everything's going great, but then we've got to be real about what's actually hard for us. Right. Uh, I don't think my grandma was able to do that in a way that was helpful to her. Um, I know as a grandchild, I didn't know that she was struggling, and my parents, I, I don't know that they knew everything that she struggled with too. So that could have been really helpful for her because we could have been a support system. And so I think that's, that's step number one is mm. let's, let's get real. Let's talk mm. about it. My most significant other in my childhood was my paternal grandmother. Mm. And uh, my father was a alcoholic, a working alcoholic. Mm. Uh, in the morning, he would put two eggs in a blender and put two cups of whiskey, and that was his, oh, that wow. was his breakfast. Mm -hmm. He died at 48. And mm. it was interesting, my grandmother, mm. uh, never talked about anything negative about anyone in her family. Mm -hmm. And when she wrote her history, it was all brightness and light, you know? Mm. And I remember as a child thinking, wow, there are, there are a lot of things going on in this family that no one's willing to talk about. Mm -hmm. And then when she died, uh, when after I returned from an LDS mission, uh, I read for the first time, she, my, my grandmother passed when I was about 15 and a half, mm -hmm. almost 16. Mm -hmm. And so after the mission, I came back and it was the first time I read her history. Mm -hmm. And I found it fascinating how that generation only spoke about positive things. Mm -hmm. And there was all this trauma and none of it was even mentioned ever wow. in her history. Mm -hmm. And... And I thought, well, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. It's not honest, but right. it's interesting. <laughs> and I think that was one of the things that really drove me into uh, being a mental health professional because mm -hmm. I really wanted to understand why that takes place, mm -hmm. what that's all about, mm -hmm. and why people present this just pie-in-the-sky mm -hmm. idea of, of their lives when, when her life was really quite difficult. Mm -hmm. And I think if she would have been more honest about it, then people would have rallied. But that was something you just didn't do in the 50s and the 60s. Right. They must have been so lonely then, right. not being able to share that burden with other people. Right. Mm -hmm. Her husband was a uh, bishop of the LDS Church. Mm -hmm for a very long time, mm. close to 20 years. Oh my goodness. Uh, he was a bishop in Star Valley and then moved to California and was one of the first bishops down the Los Angeles area. Mm. Uh, but he died fairly um, young also of uh, prostate cancer. Mm. And so she lived a good almost 20 years without him. Mm. But you know, it, I find it fascinating, and that's one of the things I would like to talk about at the conference, is the transition, but the importance of being honest in your history, mm -hmm. the importance of being able to speak about those things and not have to trash people, mm -hmm. but to just speak honestly about that process. And I think still today, we do a lot of speaking 
but do we look at ourselves and, and, and can we really honestly look at our history and mm -hmm. look at what we've gone through? Mm -hmm. For me, it's been very important to do that. I think so. Some of my favorite people to interview are 50 and above because they've processed what's happened in their right. lives. And when they can process it and share the lessons they've learned, the patterns they've seen, right. and they can see where one path led to another path, those are the best interviews. I mean, I love to interview the 20-year-old American Idol contestants and things, but they haven't really processed what's right. happened. Yeah. Then they're, they're still pie in the sky, which is so fun, and there's an energy about that. But the real gift, the real wisdom comes when we can process our story. That's beautiful. And share it. We I need to be better about sharing yeah, our stories. I all of my uh, six children are adults now. And it's, uh, I used to think, boy, when my kids become adults, isn't it going to be wonderful to have this wonderful relationship with them? Mm -hmm. And then I realized, no, they're all individuals. They've mm -hmm. all made their choices. Mm -hmm. And I still have a relationship with them, but I have to drop that conceptualization of what I thought it would look like mm -hmm. and look at what it truly is. Right. I have two young adult kids, so I'm just entering that, that phase. I have two in college, two in junior high, and a first grader. And so uh, I'm starting to see what you're describing, that they, we all have to make our own choices and, right. and live our own lives. And now you tried to name, I mean, you named your daughter after your grandmother. Yes. Talk about that for just a minute. That's okay. a beautiful story. Okay. So my daughter, who's six, she'll be seven soon. She's our baby. She's our family mascot. We mm -hmm. all just adore her. She's so much younger than the others, and we're just having a blast with her. And um, so I had my my four kids, and life was going well, and and I was serving as a young woman leader and running a business and feeling like the family was probably complete. And uh, but kept having some recurring thoughts that maybe that wasn't the case. And uh, I, I trained for this half marathon that I was running. And, um, and it was a half marathon to raise money for cancer. Well, Lola, so not the one who took her life, but the other grandma named Lola, she died of cancer. And they gave us a sticker we could put on our back during the race where we could run for someone, a survivor or someone who had passed from cancer. And so I decided to put her name on my back. Well, a half marathon, are either of you runners? I uh, used run? to be. I ran okay. St. George Marathon once is enough. Okay, good for you. I was no. in the Clydesdale division. Nice. You know, where you just are yep. glad you finished, <laughs> but I did. And, and see, a full <laughs> is twice as long as a half. And twice I've never as done crazy. A full. Yeah. <laughs> but on the half marathon, about halfway through, just my mind was getting bored. I was getting tired and everything. Uh -huh. And so I thought, just mentally, what I'm going to do is I'm going to think about Lola, my grandmother everything I could remember about her, everything I knew about her. And so I started to remember, okay, she graduated in English, I graduated in journalism, we would, we would love to talk about words, and, and she was a musician, and I'm also a musician, and so I thought, oh, we would love that. And then, then I thought about her children, and her family started with two boys, two girls, which is exactly what I had at the time, and so I was thinking about her family and mine, and the bedrooms, and the kids, and, and then I had this very powerful experience where I felt like, in fact, I felt like I left the race for a moment. Wow. And, and she, my grandma Lola said, you still have your Mary, was the message. And, and the way that I understood that, she had a fifth child, baby girl, much younger than the other four. You still have your Mary. So when I hit the ground again in the race, I, I processed that for the rest of the race of what that could mean. And then when I got home from the race, my daughter, who is, she's 18 now, she was 11 at the time, she said, Mom, I had a dream this morning 
that uh, it was, she says it was a birthday holiday. I don't know if it was Christmas or my birthday. It was a present holiday, is what she said. Um, and my present was a baby sister. So I had her tell me everything about this because her dream happened about the same time I had been in the race that morning. Well, soon I found out I was expecting and it was on my, that daughter's birthday. Mm. That was the due date. Wow. And, uh, and, I, and I felt that it would be a little girl based on the experiences. And so we named her Lola after my grandma, um, who I had had the experience with in the race. And she was born on another great grandma's birthday, my husband's grandma, Fern. So my daughter's name is Lola Fern. And uh, it's an it's an old lady name for this little but beautiful child. But those names child. are coming back. It's they, fun yeah, to the watch. old names come yeah, back, yeah. right? They're and really coming yeah. back. And How so, beautiful. and so it was a it was a precious experience and a bonding experience for me with my grandma to know. And she said it in a way I would understand. Yeah. You'll still have your Mary, your your youngest daughter. And so she's beautiful. been a she's been a wonderful part of our family. She's the glue to our family. We all love and adore her. You mentioned a minute ago that you've worked with young women a lot. Mm -hmm. I mean. I think 10 years with all the different, mm -hmm. and, and, and you've engaged in an amazing adventure where you've actually taken a group of young women back to the United Nations. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about that? Yes, and so a few years ago, someone I, who I had interviewed for Utah Valley Magazine, she's on the left there, Ann Takasaki, mm -hmm. I had done a little write-up on her, and uh, she and I were having a conversation about something else, and she said, you really need to talk to this woman who's going to be taking a delegation to the Commission on the Status of Women, which is one of the United Nations events. And I immediately felt pulled to this. And so I contacted her and I started going to this annual meeting in March in New York, Commission on the Status of Women. Mm -hmm. And and kept feeling like I would I should bring some young women there to help experience that. Um, it's a very divisive environment uh, about women's issues. and. Um, there's a prevailing feeling that for women to get equality, they need to be a lot like men, which means don't get married and have children. That makes you unequal. And there, there were a lot of things that didn't really match my experience mm. and my beliefs. And so I thought some young women back here would bring such a light and they could learn so much and these people could learn a lot from these young women. And so I, I started down that path of figuring out how to do this. And I put out a, a call to see if some young women would want to apply for the opportunity. Well, a lot of applications came in, and that, that became a hard chore to whittle 100 applicants down to eight. We selected eight to go with us, and um, this was 2017 that we took these eight girls here. And we, uh, I put in to have an event, to host an event, and had every reason to think we would be accepted and on the agenda, and especially because the United Nations loves young people. And so mm -hmm. I thought that would work. So we picked the girls, booked the flights, planned everything out, got the email, you have been rejected from the Whoa. schedule. You're not having an event at the United Nations. Well, I didn't know what to do with that email right off because I didn't want to tell these girls or their parents that what you have signed up to do, go and speak at the United Nations, isn't gonna work. And so wheels were turning and um, what we decided to do and some doors that kind of opened was for us across the street from the United Nations, there's a hotel called the One UN Hotel. Mm -hmm. It's basically on the campus, but yeah. it is across the street. And uh, we booked a room there and um, planned an event. The downside was we'd have to do all our own marketing. It wasn't going to show up in anyone's schedule. It wasn't going to be in the app or on any printed schedules. And so we decided we're going to take that on. We're going to do our, we're going to do our own event. Well, you're we'll pretty make it good great. at that. You've done that a little bit. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to do that, but this is in a new city with people from yeah. around the world. And how do you get it's the word out? only one harm's tied to behind your back. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, so we're back there at the UN. And the night before our event, it's a beautiful blue sky day. We start getting alerts. There's going to be a storm come in. Well, it seems very unlikely. 
the skies look beautiful. This, this hadn't been in the forecast previously. But sure enough, a storm rolled in throughout the night. The next morning, the UN was closed. They closed the UN for the whole day. But we had rented a room across the street that was not closed. Wow. And so we, had, part of the subway was closed, so we trudged through the snowstorm and made our way there. And there were all these people in town who had no other Nothing events to, wow. to go to that came to this hotel. So the girls were out on the sidewalk all that morning and in the lobby telling people, come on upstairs at 10, you know, we're gonna have this presentation. And so we had a room full of people that were wowed by these girls. And they each took uh, a topic, um, faith-related topics, faith, divine nature, individual worth, choice, accountability, good works, integrity, and virtue. And they took a UN approach to it, taking, uh, using statistics and data related to why service, why knowledge em empowered women, opened doors for them. Uh, the, the young woman who spoke about virtue talked about the benefits of two-parent families. And, and so there was, a, there was a research twist on these young women values that they had grown up learning about. And so they, they knocked it out of the park. All eight of them did, and we had a, a room full of people that were really impressed with them. So um, it was a really awesome experience, and uh, we're still we're still close. We were there on it was it's March, and so we were there on Pi Day, three fourteen. So we continue yep, to have okay. a reunion every <laughs> Pi Day with these girls, and we we catch up. But they're all doing great things with their education and their service opportunities and things. It's always fascinating to me how when someone closes a door, how the Lord always opens a window. And it's creates, really you know, creates things that we initially think, oh no, this is this is a bummer. This isn't going to work. Mm -hmm. And then he says, "Behold the majesty of the Lord. Let me show you what I have planned." Mm -hmm. And then it turns out much better mm -hmm. than we ever even hoped it to. Mm -hmm. So what a wonderful oh, story! Thank I, you. I've. In my seven years, seven decades on this year, this earth, I've seen that happen many, many times where a, a door has been slammed and barred, mm -hmm. but a window is open. And what happens from that is far better than anything. And I think that's a wonderful metaphor for mental health that many people, many times people think, okay, all the doors are closed for me. Mm -hmm. But sometimes that's how the spirit works to say, this direction is not where I want you to go. Mm -hmm. This is where I don't need you to go. But mm -hmm. let me show you this. And if you'll just trust, I will open up five other doors that have just been slammed in your face. Mm, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And I think we can see looking back in our lives how, how that happened for us, how a door was closed but a window opened. So the trick is just when we're in the middle of it, to trust that what's happened in the past, that God did have a better plan, that it, that is also going to occur now in this right. in this difficulty. Right. Yeah, uh, when the snowstorm was rolling in, I had those moments of panic of, oh no, now I've brought them all here. And then when I started to see what he was actually doing. That's amazing. <laughs> I was overjoyed. I couldn't believe it. The thing is that the day they closed the UN, all those sessions were rescheduled for the next week or something. Right. If that had happened to us, we couldn't have flown right. back to no. do it. Right. It would have created a huge problem. So it was. So he said, you need an audience? I'll bring you an audience. Uh -huh. <laughs> I will create a space and an audience, and it will be better than what you yes. even 
thought it would be. In a way, I couldn't envision. I mean, closing the UN? I didn't even know that was a possibility. People have flown well, around the world. Well, everything shuts down when there's two inches of snow back there. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're not Utah. <laughs> no, they're not. Or Idahoans. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. Well, you, when we were talking earlier, you mentioned that uh, you've got to know Clay Olson and fight the new drug. Mm -hmm. uh, he'll be speaking at the I show. Love it. and. Tim Ballard's going to be there. That's so great. Um, you know, as you're driving up I-15, you're seeing billboards of the opioid addiction epidemic, and and you know we've 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 been talking earlier about some of the challenges our young people have. We all, I mean, up and down the boards with different forms of addictions. Mm -hmm. You get to interview a lot of people. Is that becoming mm -hmm. a stronger theme in the, in the stories and the things that you're finding out there in the media? That they're over, having to overcome some addictions. And absolutely, in that way absolutely. And the people who are willing to open up about their story and what they've learned, people flock to those stories. Those are some of our most read stories. People want to read and learn from other people. I think, uh, and there's there's getting to be less uh, stigma about sharing those stories, and we need to to open that up even more because we learn so much yeah. from those from those stories. Now, it's usually the people who have overcome it and have a happy ending who are ready to share it. Right. But even those who who are struggling through it. Uh, I, I love it when people are are confident enough and vulnerable enough to admit what is, what they're struggling with. It's a really powerful connector. Well, and you use the word vulnerable. I know mm -hmm. Brene Brown. That, that's mm -hmm. a theme that's just had massive appeal yes. about vulnerability, being willing to share. You know, when I had this car accident that I've been through about three years ago, Crazy things happened to me, but it was only when I was willing to talk about them mm -hmm. that all the rest of these different uh, projects started really taking flight. Mm -hmm. So do you find that millennials particularly are really drawn to vulnerability and authenticity in the media, or do they still mask it a little bit? No, I think they're very much drawn to it. I think and they're growing up in this world where they're inundated with messages, right? With social media, digital forms, every every app imaginable. And I think they get tired of the polished yeah. uh, facade. They can spot those pretty easy and they want to really connect with someone who's being real. Yeah. So I think that younger generation they they are demanding that. They want that, which means that they'll they are and and will be more open themselves, I think. Well, one of the main aspects of Eternal Core, God-centric mental health, is we're asking people to share their core stories. And we all have a core story. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think there, I don't know any uninteresting people. I don't either. We all have this amazing <laughs> internal core, but I think over the years we've been frightened to share those. and. That's one thing about this whole process is to learn to find a community where you can share stories and you can find that there is a, there are many other people who have had very similar experiences you have. And if you come together with those individuals, you can find way out. We can learn from one another and grow. Mm -hmm. And that's one of our major goals at Eternal Core is to help people be able to express those stories, come to eternal core and, and share them with an entire community because it's in relationships we heal. Mm, and I like often that. I think people believe that no, it's just gotta be this private process, you know, just between me and my doctor, but it's in a relationship of community mm -hmm. that we heal so much more than just mm -hmm. keeping those things inside and pretending that we are not, we, 
dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. We're all dysfunctional. We, we all have our difficulties. Right. We all have our weakness. Mm -hmm. I'm involved in the United Way here in our community, and, and the big push this year is Everyday Strong to help especially our, our uh, school-aged children to thrive. So, of course, they need their physical needs met, but above that, ne next above that, after their physical needs are met, their basic needs, is connectivity. That's one of the really important things that mm -hmm. our youth, all of us, but especially our children too, they need to connect with people. That's part one of our major human needs. And uh, like you said, people need to share their stories. Sometimes people don't know how. You know, sometimes when I interview right. people, they're nervous, they're, they're not opening up. Uh, even famous people do that to me sometimes. And I think it's because they're used to, this is the facade I show the world, yeah. and they don't want me to come around they don't want the, the back. Privacy <laughs> it's so dictated to them right. by their by you know, everyone that's around them. Mm -hmm. And they say, we have to present this. Yes, this is the brand right. that we will show. But when mm -hmm. we present the brand all the time, our true self, our, our, our core self is left out. Mm -hmm. And that's when often addiction comes in or other things come in to try and replace that process. It's really true. One thing that I found, people who are able to share their stories, is that they have gone through that process of, of understanding them themselves, and journaling is a real key for that. And that can be done in a variety of ways, but I think it's really important for all of us to write down our thoughts, Record, or, yeah. or even taking pictures or snapshots of text conversations, or something, something to document our lives helps us process as we're looking back, and I think it's really well, important. Let's talk about documenting our lives, because we have a cool new idea. <laughs> cool. Um, we have a, a partner of ours, a business partner that's been working on, on an app. Um, it's called Lifey App. Now, when you take a photo of yourself, that's a selfie. Right. So a self-video is a Lifey. And mm -hmm. we're going to, actually, as part of the Community for Eternal Core, we're going to ask all of us, everyone involved, to take their core story, sort of like you shared today, mm -hmm. the story of your grandmother, those core stories that have shaped and become junction points in our lives, and we're going to share those core stories online that. with our fellow community members and see if we can help others through the adventures of life with the stories we've been through. Mm. So mm -hmm. this is Jeanette Bennett. She's been, oh, years involved with young women, with media. She's, she's been a force for good here in our community. She's joining us at Eternal Core, March 29th and 30th. She'll be moderating a couple of the, the panels Thank you for joining us today oh, and sharing just a you. bit of your core story. We're going to look to hear a lot more. All right. I look forward to it. Thank Thanks. you so Thanks much. Thanks to you both. Appreciate it. Thank you.